You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Aria Shagasemi, welcome to Token Theater Friends. It's such a pleasure speaking to you today. How's everything going with you? Good, yeah. We, I mean, we, 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 we opened our show last weekend and we're going to start the next like the second weekend of shows today um and the first weekend was was i mean it was a lot of fun it was super chaotic in some respects but it was a good learning experience right so people we usually have our guests talk about the show they're in but i think pretty much everybody on earth knows romeo and juliet so rather than have you tell us what the plot is about can you talk a little bit about what it's like to do it set in the jazz age and also what's your take on getting to play Romeo in Romeo and Juliet sure um yeah so playing it in the jazz age is um it like it was an interesting choice when Sean brought it to us because it it is a time that him and um the late costume designer who worked on the first show that he did Hamlet him and her her name is Anne-Marie Wright they came up with together because they were trying to figure out a time to set Romeo and Juliet in when they could highlight generational differences between the youth and adults basically and the 1920s highlighted that sort of generational divide really clearly because there was a lot of things that were going on that sort of created a then and a future a past and a future where women were getting the right to vote um in america the prohibition movement was creating massive risks rifts between communities um the economic upturn that was going on jazz age was, was picking up um and so those like small little elements informing the sort of environment that you're doing a shakespeare play in is just always sort of like it's 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 like get ready for this it's like art deco where it's, it's like the decoration that's surrounded is very very sort of distinct but the shakespeare play is romeo and juliet it is one of the most well-known stories of all time um and playing the part of romeo is it feels kind of like that where where i said it to somebody else that it feels like you're almost playing a superhero where there's so much expectation that goes into it and there's so much pretense that people carry around with it and they think they have or they they do have such a specific idea of what they think and feel about Romeo and Juliet that it's almost impossible to get out from underneath it but it is still undeniably a good story and it's pretty damn good writing so in terms of myself playing the part like I just appreciate that I got to play it at an age in which it's still sort of believable and I get to you know practice doing something 
this challenging because it's certainly like the most challenging character I've ever been faced with as an actor. My career isn't that long, certainly, but this is, I mean, I don't know, 400 lines or something like that. Did you come with any, you know, preconceptions about how you were going to play Romeo and then reading the script and getting to work with your cast and director change any of those approaches? Oh, yeah, big time. I mean, when I, I'd like, because when I was, when I was younger and I mean, honestly closer to Romeo's age, I just couldn't stand him. Like, he was so annoying to me. He was the most, he talks so much and he's just constantly talking about, how he feels and he isn't doing anything about it or like anything that he tries to do is sort of subverted by the people that don't want him doing anything. <laughs> but it was, it was, because we were supposed to do this play in 2020 and then the pandemic destroyed everything and slowed everything down. And it was in that time, I think that I really sort of like came to understand Romeo in a way that was a lot more sympathetic. Um, like I don't actually understand necessarily know how it changed, but I sort of accepted him a lot more as a person that is three-dimensional and worth listening to. <laughs> but I mean, certainly Sean helped a lot with that. And then working with Anita helped sort of flesh out, Anita plays Juliet, flesh out the sort of other dimensions of Romeo that exists um, outside of the context of his relationship with Juliet. You saying that Romeo was annoying to you is hilarious because I was gonna I wanted to talk to you about the fact that you know as I age right now I'm in my mid thirties uh, uh you know when I was Romeo's age basically I was a sucker for Romeo and Juliet I was I felt like them all the time you know I wanted to you know like do grandiose gestures and poetry over what seemed now like very very tiny things and now them. I'm, you know, 37, I cannot stand Romeo and Juliet. And I just want like the nurse and the friar to be like, you know, we're done with you. Like figure out your shit and we'll see you later. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, like, because it, it is true in a lot of ways, Romeo and Juliet are very much like, they are annoying to adults, but that's also sort of exactly what Sean is trying to highlight where the adults find the children annoying to the equal degree that the children find adults annoying you know like because if we think about ourselves when we were their age the things that we were feeling were massive and brand new but it doesn't mean that any of them like deserve to be taken any less seriously at the moment you know if Romeo and Juliet had the luxury of getting older and looking back on everything that happened then they would probably laugh at themselves but because it ends badly if they can't really you know but like the whole play sort of um it falls apart just because of lack of communication nobody is talking to each other in the way that they're supposed to talk to each other nobody is being clear and then there's the very inconvenient excuse of the friar john who's supposed to get the letter to romeo and mantua about the ruse that friar lawrence and juliet are playing gets stayed by um, the plague so it's like like when it, when I think about like what happens to everybody in the play I don't blame anyone anymore but like it's certainly it's certainly got to a point where I I do believe that 
the people that are at fault are the adults in the play because the play the adults in the play are the reason that Romeo and Juliet can't just be like, hey, so I met this person and I'm mad into him. Is that cool? If the answer was just, yeah, see where it goes, you're probably going to get over it in two weeks, then nobody would have committed suicide. Right. You're right about that. It's, it's so strange because also, in a way, I feel that as adults, we kind of learn how to suppress and how to pretend that we don't have all those huge emotions and that we're not Romeo and Juliet anymore. And I have to say, you know, like people who listen to the show and who know the show know very much that I'm a huge Swifty and Taylor Swift sure. gets those, you know, feelings out of me. And at first I was like, wait a second, like we're in the same age range. Like she's not thinking about teenagers. Like I feel these things as well. <laughs> So what I want to what I want to get to uh, with this is, I wonder if for you as an actor, does you know does your work and does your being an actor basically, I guess help channel emotions that as adults we are not allowed to uh, you know display in public. Definitely, I mean, like there because especially with Shakespeare, man, like there are t there are emotions and circumstances in Shakespeare that just do not exist in the modern day anymore you know like like romeo and juliet are in their own rights in verona like the gentry they're very much royalty like they, they if, if you want a really bad example they are like the equivalent of kardashians and the sort of influence they hold over their environment because everybody knows who they are everybody knows what they're um the feud exists between these two families and for some reason everybody buys into it it makes no sense whatsoever but you know the same thing with a lot of celebrity culture which is just people buying into personality cults rather than knowing what they're buying into which is like sort of what romeo and juliet highlights is that nobody knows why we're fighting we're just fighting because we're supposed to but i think that like when it comes to like displaying emotions as an actor that you're not allowed to display in public, like, yeah, definitely. There, like, there are scenes in Romeo and Juliet that like, it would be completely inappropriate for anybody to talk to anybody like that in, under any circumstance. You know, you should absolutely control your emotions when you're talking to the people you love. But the reason we go to theater is because we, we as human beings sort of need that catharsis, I think. How did you decide that you wanted to become an actor? Like, did you see anything? Did you were you a huge fan of someone that made you go, "I want to do what that person does"? Um, yes, it was Jim Carrey and Ace Ventura: Pet Detective, which has not aged well. But <laughs> but I remember watching Jim Carrey in the like those movies and like in The Mask, and I was too young at the time, but I just remember looking at him being like, "Whatever that guy is doing, I want to do that." And I remember. Um, I was watching Lindsay Lohan and Jamie Lee Curtis in Freaky Friday. And that was the first time that I like registered that they were given a script and memorized their lines beforehand and then came to set and then filmed it beforehand. I just, I guess I assumed that everyone knew what they were supposed to say because even after that, I was like, there's no way they can memorize all that. That's too much. That's hilarious. And I mean, talking about, the generational gap, right? Like, what a better example than Freaky Friday? Maybe there should yeah. be like a Romeo and Juliet meets Freaky uh, Friday adaptation at some point. Not a bad idea. Yeah. I wonder how was it for you? You know, like uh, being Iranian American, like 
how was it for you to tell your parents that you were going to do this for for a living? I I brought the idea of being an actor to my parents when I was in my first year of college, and my mom said no, just the way I exactly the way I thought it was. But my freshman seminar teacher, who was the one who was trying to convince me to pursue acting, he was like, I think he called me the week before the admissions for my school were um, closed. He was just like, just between you and I, why aren't you going? And I was like, well, dude, because like my parents don't want me to do it. There's no chance. It's not going to happen. Yada, yada. My mom goes to work. She tells her coworkers, yeah, my son, his crazy ass wants to be an actor and move to New York and like drop out of college and do all this, that and the other. And then her coworkers like, well, you know, if you don't let him go, he's going to spend the rest of his life telling you if you just let me move to New York. And that was that was what convinced her. It wasn't anything I did. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, I'm laughing. That's that's the way parents go. You're right about that. Um, and it's also it's also exactly like Romeo and Juliet when an adult told her that this might be a good idea. She she understood and listened and accepted it as maybe a good idea. But when her child was telling her, she couldn't accept that. There's a play about this somewhere, you know. Did you did you come up with any you know like plan B's like fine like maybe I will do this at some point if my parents just flat out say no 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 no. I was going to be a ceramics teacher. Um, I I really liked doing ceramic art in high school. Like my senior year was basically just, I, I managed to have every class, but the two credits I needed to graduate be a ceramics class. And I was just going to go um, get my bachelor of arts, um, do the ceramics thing for a while, starving artist, probably go back, get my master's and then go be a teacher. That was the plan. But there was like, there was never any part of me that was like, really trying to figure out how that was going to happen. I don't know where I was going to go to grad school. I don't know where I was going to end up. Like that was just to have a plan to tell people in case acting didn't work out, but there was never a plan B really. That's really beautiful and poetic in a way, because I, I mean, sorry if this sounds like too cheesy, but it's kind of like, you know, being an actor, I guess, is kind of being like a ceramic sculpture, right? And like, you're basically mm -hmm. giving shape to, to, I don't know, the, the clay, I guess, of each script and character making well, so, Romeo, yeah. for instance, your own, in this case. That's a good point. I didn't think about it like that. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, once you figure out that people had to memorize scripts and had to memorize all these lines, and you mentioned right now, Romeo having so many words to speak, how did you master then the art of remembering lines and did it come easier to you than you thought? Or do you have any, I don't know, tips for actors out there listening who are having any uh, trouble with that well I've got I've got one of the first things I ever did on stage was in like sixth grade and I was playing a principal in a school play that like our like the little theater club wrote together and memorized my lines and then we had like our one performance I don't know how many we had I can't remember anymore but we didn't have that many but I remember one of the performances I was standing on stage in like giant oversized coat I was supposed to do the principal and there was this lull and one of the girls who was like leading it looks at me and goes, maybe the principal has something to say. I was playing the principal and she, I was like on stage in front of everybody. I went, I don't have a line here. And <laughs> so, so like ever since then, I've had this like, it's not trauma, but I've had this trauma surrounding forgetting a line on stage. So I like, I'm ravenous about knowing my lines because I'm like insist to this day, Jose, I know what the line is. It, it was, it's been like 20 years and I know what the line is, but now I'm like, it's a, the lesson that I took really, you know what I mean? 
that's that's amazing so i guess that's like the actress equivalent of everyone else dreaming that they're naked on stage in front of a exactly. bunch of people exactly yes because i was that was it it was like i was like just standing up there admitting i'm a fool but like you know thankfully i was only what 12 so it didn't really do any damage but i i that's amazing i hope this doesn't sound like too metaphysical and like strange to ask but if you were able, you know, like, I don't know how to act, like, I admire, but all of you do so much because you're incredible at it, and I can't, you know, it's like, uh, there's many things that we can't do that we love others because they're so incredible at it. So for a lame person like myself, can you compare the feeling that you have on stage to something that I might have experienced, you know, like maybe chocolate or a roller coaster or something like that? Yeah, this might sound a bit, a bit cotton candy, but like, that you know that that feeling that like, if you see someone trip and it's completely harmless, they didn't hurt themselves, but then you help them up, like that little feeling right there, that little like warmth where you're just like, oh man, I helped somebody today, and they smiled at me and they said thank you, and we had this really nice little interaction, and like we get to walk away from it, and it doesn't change anything, but it's just that we we shared this thing that no one else got to participate in i think that's what that feeling is of being an actor because you sort of when you're on stage especially in theater like that group of for for romeo and juliet we have 99 seats in our theater and for that group of 99 people plus the cast and crew like those people will never be in the same room ever again it's statistically impossible so the thing that they shared that one night is something that can't happen again that's really, really beautiful. It sounds almost like very zen. Like I am usually expecting people to say like, I'm nervous and you know, it's like falling off a cliff or something like that. <laughs> this is beautiful. Thanks. What's it like, you know, like you did uh, the originals and legacies for so long playing the same character, obviously not the same thing every episode, but having the chance to do as many cuts as you needed to while you know we're talking about like the possibility i hope it never happens like i would forgetting a line or messing up so to speak on stage can mm -hmm. you talk about how do you approach tv i guess versus being on stage yeah tv's a lot more forgiving for sure in terms of being an actor um because of the cuts and like if you forget a line you can reset and everything but I think that like the pressure of being an actor on a TV show is just different. You have a lot. It's like you know, if 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 on stage you're juggling balls, in TV you're juggling bowling pins. You know, it's just a very different sort of technique, and it was very very educational. But like it also, like Sean had to beat out of me the sort of bad habit of if like every any time that Anita and I would get close together, we would our voices would go down to that level of talking to someone that's right next to me and both of us have film backgrounds so that was a very common habit that we that, that just wouldn't survive on stage and then so we ended up in that weird actor mode where we're, we feel like we're screaming in each other's faces during rehearsals but like that's just the bare minimum to get heard in a theater but it I mean like acting on legacies as you said like having done it for it was four four and a half five years including the pandemic year um but it was just like the, the really valuable thing was like acting as often as i was that was like incredible practice and invaluable learning experiences and learning what the crew is doing and how 
like sort of knowing what they're doing serves the actor's job as well like it helps them do it a little bit better just knowing what the camera lens is seeing and what kind of camera lens they're using and like what the sound capabilities are even because sound gets so much disrespect over the course of a filming process i watched so many interviews of you you know at conventions and comic book uh events and stuff like that where people come to you and they know so much about you. Well, they knew so much, for instance, about Landon. And in a way, like you were talking about earlier, there are people who are as devoted to Shakespeare and to Romeo and Juliet as people were to, to Landon. So I don't even know where I want to go with this, but I mean, what's it like, I guess? Like, you know, like, were there... Did you ever have any fears on TV? And you talked about it on stage ready about you know uh not serving against the fans and people who seem uh, sometimes to know more about your character than the writers and yourself yeah i i i when it comes to i'll start with shakespeare when it comes to shakespeare i am also a bit of a dork when it comes to shakespeare so like they like the shakespeare fanatics don't intimidate me as much because i am I'm one of them. So it's like, if they want to come at me and tell me, actually, you're wrong about this opinion, I'd be like, well, no, because it's an opinion and I also have a strong one. You know what I mean? But like with Landon and Legacies, there was this piece of advice that Robert Downey Jr. gave to Jude Law when he um, got his first job in the MCU. And Robert Downey Jr. told Jude Law, you don't have to understand the whole thing. You just have to understand your little piece. And if you can do that, then you can fill it out as much as you want. And that helped me a lot because when I first started on Legacies, I was like putting a bunch of pressure on myself to understand everything and figure it all out. But like Vampire Diaries is what, nine seasons? Originals is five seasons. That's already 14 seasons of TV coming into it right away. And there's like this whole like extended universe, I'm sure that exists around it. And the people that, like you said, they watch it and they love it and they pay attention and they have it on all the time. And they, they, like, it's a part of their day almost. So when I was approaching Landon, it was very much like by the end of it, especially, I was just like, I'm just going to try and understand my little piece and do that justice. And hopefully like throughout the process of making the episode, it will fit into the larger in the way that, um, like the editors, which who are just shockingly brilliant, they'll figure it out. You compared Romeo to a superhero at the beginning of our conversation. So, what are his superpowers? Emotions. I don't. Know. I. I mean, he's. It's like like I think of him as a superhero in the sense that he is this massive literary figure that people have seen so much of and he's existed so for so long and he's changed not he like the silhouette hasn't changed much but you know like the costumes that he's worn have changed a lot but i think that like it's 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 more i mean more so in the terms of the function he serves to people in general you know that he's it feels like a superhero but I, I mean, I, he's certainly just some poor guy with that desperately needs therapy. I mean, yeah, yeah. Spoken like a, like a New Yorker. What is, if you have one, and I know that for a Shakespeare dork like yourself, this might be like a very 
shitty question to ask, but what is, do you have a favorite line in the play to say every night, you know, something that you are dying every night to just repeat again? In Romeo and Juliet? Yes. In, yes, in Romeo and Juliet, I do. In Romeo and Juliet, he has this line in the balcony scene. Um, uh, Juliet says, like, my ears have not yet drunk a hundred of that tongue's uttering, yet I know the sound. Art thou not Romeo and Montague? And Romeo's line to her is, neither fair maid, if either thee dislike. And that, I mean, when I first read that three years ago, didn't think anything of it but then i don't know what happened but one year i read it and i was like that has got to be the most romantic line i think i've ever read in any literature ever and i think that if somebody said that to me in the context i would melt you try to give like that line a little spin every night you like play it like hip-hop one day and then like a little bit more jazzy the next day honestly honestly like i feel so much like i like love that line so much i try to avoid it because i I feel like it's so easy for me to indulge if I let myself. Can you talk a little bit about the process of developing your chemistry with Anita, who's doing her American stage debut uh, with this play? Yeah, I mean, it was it was pretty easy. I mean, Anita's a really great person. I think she's a great actress. Um, and we didn't go to school at the same time, but Sean was our teacher in Shakespeare at the Neighborhood Playhouse. And I went to the school, of, I think, two or three years before she did. So we, we had a, sh a bit of a shorthand to begin with, just because we went to that school. And then on top of that, I mean, she's a very easy person to work with. She comes with really, really strong opinions and she knows who she is and she knows who she thinks Juliet should be. And she's a hard worker, so I can trust her. So it was, it was really easy. That's beautiful to hear. So dying every night on stage and no spoiler like I know everyone knows this about the play by now but dying every night on stage uh must be hard and you know experiencing the last scene of the play as an audience member who's seen it like a million times it's always I don't know you know it always it's always like oh god like why like why does this have to happen so do you need to make let me rephrase it What's the process like for you every night of, I guess, taking Romeo's skin off and going back to being Aria? Um, there is there is something oddly ritualistic about taking off and putting on the costume. Um, this is something that like I sort of in legacies, especially right, like at the end of each day take off the costume and then they'd give us these like clear costume bags that the whole thing would come in and you just hang everything in there zip up the costume bag and it really it really felt like you sort of like put the bat suit back in the closet and you could walk away and go live your civilian life um but i mean like i'm just absolutely drenched in sweat by the end of the play because the theater lights are so hot and i'm wearing a 1920s period piece so like taking it off there's like this odd sense of relief and then also just like being able to exhale again fully because like i know it's a bit of a trope but i don't like to breathe on stage when i'm dead because it's of the immersion even though i know everyone knows i'm alive and it's fine if i do breathe but it is it is like going backstage and decompressing is like a very important part of the process i think because i like i like also wearing like really baggy hoodies and being able to like throw that on put the hood up and then walk out 
of the stage doors, it feels like like I'm going, I'm I'm leaving the threshold of Romeo's world, going back to mine. I once asked Isabel Uppert this question, probably because I was very nervous and I was like, I don't know what to ask her right now. But you're saying that you hold your breath, you know, for that, you know, for that long, which to me seems like a very long time. So what do you do or have you ever had the urge to like sneeze when you're trying to be, you know, like quiet or still like that? Yeah, man. It's been, there have been a couple of <laughs> nights where like, like, like a cough starts coming up in my throat or like I can feel snot coming out of my nose or something like just something, something physiological that like requires like some unconscious response. Like I feel it happening. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do about this. It would be really bad if Juliet's having her like final moments for her the love of her life and he just starts <laughs> that would be terrible. That would be terrible. Uh, that would be terrible, yeah. So <laughs> um next sorry, I'm laughing about that. Oh sorry. Um next you said you're gonna be on Broadway in prayer for the French Republic. So What's it like to, you know, like going back to stage immediately, I guess? You're not doing any TV or any films in between shows? No, uh, yeah, I, it's a blessing for sure. I, I, because after having done so much of Legacies, I was really craving doing theater. And I felt, again, like we, Romeo and Juliet has been, excuse me, in the works for a while now. So I knew it was on the horizon. And then getting Broadway was like, I mean, the actor dream, right? Um, the idea that I get to do Romeo and Juliet and then take two weeks and then go into prayer for the French Republic is, is I mean, it's dizzying. It's a bit anxiety-inducing, of course, because pr prayer for the French Republic is a three-act play. It's really, it's like, it's, it's longer than most plays than I've ever read. Um, the idea that it's going to go on a Broadway stage is a bit intimidating, but it is also, you know, still just a play but it is i feel very grateful is it easy to say i guess goodbye to a character like when you're done with your bad romeo suit and going into french republic do you ever have any i don't know like maybe not problems that is it i don't know what's it like letting go and saying maybe i'll see you later romeo or maybe i'll be back as the friar uh, <laughs> when i'm much older uh, yeah honestly i don't know man like i i I've never gotten to experience something like this, especially so suddenly. I mean, like with Landon, I ended the part and then I had I had a significant period of time to sort of like decompress out of that and leave. Cause like we filmed in Georgia. So then I had to like, I had the time to leave Georgia and go back to New York. And that, that created literal separation, which I think probably helped. But between Romeo and Juliet and Prayer for the French Republic, I really don't know what it's gonna be like. Um, exciting to think about you know it's like it's it is part of the job but i certainly i don't i'm not opposed to coming back to romeo and juliet as an older person but i think that it would need to be a new fresh idea because i feel like i've done so much of romeo and juliet now hoodie weather is finally here so it's like the ideal time oh, for you to yes. drive and like learn yes. lines and everything so that sounds like an amazing oh, I get time to sit in a you. park with a hood on i'm so excited I'm so excited. I'm envious because I'm in Madrid right now, and you know how um, people in Europe hate 
air conditioning and we are experiencing a very creepy, not creepy, terrifying heat wave right now. It's 87 degrees Fahrenheit in Madrid today uh, in October. So yeah, yeah it's the end of the world and everything. Aria, thank you so much. It has been a pleasure talking to you. Would you like to invite everyone who can make it to the theater for Romeo and Juliet? Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And of course, if you can make it, we're doing shows Thursdays through Sundays until October 22nd at 7.30. Uh, tickets are $25, and I think you can get them through the Curtain website or the Nimbus site, or you can just show up the day of. And I'd appreciate seeing you there. Thank you so much, and have fun with the balcony scene tonight. Thanks, man. For the I appreciate rest of the it. <laughs> Thank you. Break land. I appreciate it, man. Um, it's good talking to you. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.